RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a New Year's Eve edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here once again to listen to this thing we call a podcast on New Year's Eve. I will tell you that many people love Christmas. Many people like uh, Easter. Many people like all different holidays. My favorite holiday is New Year's Eve. So... uh, Honored to be able to put out an episode on New Year's Eve, and I got party to go to tonight, and we're going to have some cocktails and some hors d'oeuvres, and we're going to toast to 2018 and move on to 2019. And it's always been my favorite, uh, my favorite holiday for whatever reason. I, I would say because it's a drinking holiday, but every holiday is a drinking holiday in 2018, 19. But, uh, but uh, so happy. Hope you enjoyed our Christmas episode with uh, ODB. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. And uh, wishing you the best for 2019. So happy that you're listening. And we have a great guest, somebody I've been trying to get on for a while, uh, Colonel Robert Parker, uh, better known as Robert Fuller. Uh, He doesn't do a lot of these. I think he only did his brother's podcast was the only other one he did. But I twisted his arm and and uh, and and finally got him to jump on. And he was. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking about not only Colonel Robert Parker and uh, WCW and his time there, feuding with Dusty and Dustin and with Harlem Heat and Sherry, uh, but also about the resurgence with Major League Wrestling in 2018 and how he's enjoying being Colonel Rob Parker after, uh, after 20 years. But uh, I'm really looking forward to going into his history, uh, basically born into the wrestling business. Not only did his uh, grandfather and his father main event uh, territories, they owned a piece of almost every territory at one point or another in the South. So real players in the business uh, back in the territorial days, going back to the 40s and 50s and 60s. So uh, a ton of history. If you like wrestling history, I think that you're going to enjoy listening to uh, the Colonel. And then we can talk about WCW and tell some stories of uh, something that happened, some stuff that happened um, more recently. So should be a great episode. Again, want to wish you a very, very happy new year and thank you for all your support. You want to hit me up or follow me on Twitter. You go to at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Always enjoy interfacing on Twitter. So, uh, so if you haven't done that yet, be sure to do that. And, um, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts uh, for supporting this podcast the way you did. I'm humbled and grateful. So without further ado, I am excited to finally check off another box on my list on my bucket list of people I want to interview for this podcast. They're almost all checked off. I better write another one. Uh, You know him as Colonel Robert Parker. I know him as Robert Fuller, and I want to welcome him to Sitting Ringside. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week on a New Year's Eve edition of Sitting Ringside is somebody who literally grew up in the wrestling business. Uh, a lot of second, a lot of third generation wrestlers, but not only uh, is this person a third generation wrestler, but third generation promoter. Uh, if you go back into the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, uh, this family uh, really in the South had a uh, wrist hold on uh, on on the 
professional wrestling territories. You know him probably better if you watch the Monday Night Wars and beyond as uh, Colonel Robert Parker, who is uh, the kind of a comedic figure. But uh, his name is Robert Fuller, and he is uh, the grandson of Roy Welch and the uh, son of Buddy Fuller. And I'm really happy to have you because there's so much history in, in your family, Robert. So welcome to City Ringside. Well, David, thank you very much for that. You, you know, uh, it's, it's great to be here with you. So tell me about, you know, some people grow up, their dad's a doctor. Some people grow up, their dad's a, you know, a, ba- a baseball player. So they get to meet all the baseball players. Uh, what was it like growing up to be the son of not only uh, wrestlers, but promoters? Uh, you know, you guys own pieces of territory, all, territories all over the South. Well, you know what? We, uh, I, I had uh, a lot of heroes that were hanging around my house every day. That uh, my uncles and my dad's cousins and and uh, everybody that I hung around with, and you know, my dad always owned a ranch and a farm and a ranch, and and he had a rodeo arena. We even had rodeos from time to time, and uh, on our place. And all of my uncles and and cousins and dad's folks and everything, they were not only in the wrestling business and all, but they were all horsemen. And so they'd come around and we'd all go riding horses and. And my, my heroes were the guys that I watched at the big show once or twice a week. So I know that your family owned a piece of a lot of different territories. Which territory did you grow up around? Uh, actually, when, when I was a little boy, my father was running the Mobile area, the, the uh, Gulf Coast yes, sir. Uh, area down there. And, uh, and I remember as a, as a boy, I remember my father in great matches with Mario Galento and they had a feud going on and uh, and and I know uh when dad and Galento had their great big feud matches that they were in Ladd Stadium where they hold the senior bowl they sold it out wow this is back in the back in the 50s is probably one of the largest crowds ever drawn in a wrestling match and my dad and Galento were both going for hard ways that particular night and uh, they they had a little scheme set up. They were going to they were going to throw through a couple of working punches, and then they were going to shoot one. And so they had it kind of worked out. And then my dad said, Glento kind of got a little bit, you know, light in his head. However, he was, you know, whether he drank something or whatever he did, and he came in, he was a little little bit, you know, able to take a beating without hurting too bad. And uh, first thing he did was hit dad right in the nose and broke his nose and dad said the deal was off at that point there was no work to and shoot one and we just shot every one of them and so i remember my mother afterwards leading my dad around the house because both of his eyes were closed and he couldn't see and i'm sure galento was in the same boat oh i know God. he was i saw his picture Oh my! I know he was. So, so uh, yeah. you know, I ask this of second and third generation wrestlers a lot, and I've talked to Jeff Jarrett about it a little bit. Uh, w- at what point did you kind of figure out uh, the, the business, quote unquote, business, so to speak? Did your dad ever smarten you up? Did you kind of just uh, figure it out? No, no, no. Nobody got smartened up by my father. And as a matter of fact, uh, he was a lot of that same school that Eddie Graham, his friend, and some people were that. Uh, 
that you didn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Sure. Uh, I grew up uh, all my life, like I said, seeing my father led around the house for two or three days because his eyes were closed. And then when they opened up, the whites of his eyes looked like liver. And, uh, you know, he was uh, that I, you know, I had no reason to do anything but believe. And my father, uh, David, we, he always, you know, I said we we had a farm and a ranch, always living the farm and a ranch. And Dad always had a big barn there, and he'd have a wrestling ring set up in it. And the boys, his guys, the majority of them would come over and they would train once or twice a week there at our, at our property. And uh, they didn't train to be professional wrestlers. They they trained to hook. They trained to learn to take care of themselves in case they ran into an altercation on the street with somebody or something. That dad wanted all of his guys to be very, very tough. And if you didn't, uh, if you if you couldn't take care of yourself, you darn well weren't going to be his champion, nor his main event. And so that's just that's just kind of the way it was. So I I would go out to the barn and watch these guys, and they would go after one another. And so I, I I grew up, and then I started amateur wrestling in, in uh, Brackcliffe High School in Georgia back in ninth grade. I was only there for the ninth and tenth grade, and uh, and I, I wrestled on the wrestling team. And uh, and you know I I just uh, I I had all the respect in the world, and if there was anything that I ever questioned. I never would say it. <laughs> I just, uh, I said, man, you just better stay 10 miles away from that. <laughs> but, you know, the first time that I can remember uh, uh, having to deal with that, I was in Miami, and I must have been about uh, maybe uh, 16, maybe 17 years old. I was about graduating from school, and uh, Dad had Sputnik Monroe talk to me. He took me back in the back, and he was going to smarten me up, talk to me. And, and he went back and he hummed hard around and trying to tell me that, you know, we're not up there trying to really kill one another and hurt one another and all this stuff. And I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, uh, and he got done talking with me and, and, uh, I went back my dad saw me and he said, uh, you know, he said, uh, what Monroe talk to you about? I said, ah, oh, just a bunch of crap. He's full of shit. <laughs> yeah, and, my, and dad was like well i'll be dang he, he couldn't smarten you up you know and i was you know i wasn't ready for that i was like hey you know i've been around a long time seeing all the stuff that that uh and the way you've done things and i'm just not really ready to talk about that yet <laughs> so that's that's the kind of kid that i was when, when i started wrestling down here in florida uh, I actually started in Georgia, and then I quickly came down here to Florida to work, and that's when Louis Tillet and, and, and Leo Garibaldi and, and were in the office for uh, Eddie, and and uh, and they had so many shooters, so many tough guys down here in this thing that, that I fit in just perfect. I, I was just coming out of school, and I was a wrestling champion, and and I was uh, I, I was ready to do their type of thing. And I spent about six months in here in Florida really getting some fantastic knowledge. And I wound up up for Jerry Jarrett and Nick Goulas. And that was one of the hardest things to adjust to that because when I went up there, it was total wrestling war type of stuff and then there was very little wrestling involved. You had to know how to throw a good punch and 
kick and fight, and you know that was the deal. And you know everything was an all-out war, a lot of blood, a lot of stuff, and and it took me a long time to adjust to the way they did the business. But I was making a ton of money working for those guys, and obviously they were doing things right for the way they thought that they'd draw their audience. And so uh, I learned quickly that hey. There's a lot of ways to do this business that you don't have to be, you know, uh, uh, wrestling continuously and, and, and knowing everything about wrestling. You don't have to have that much respect for it. Let's go ahead and get some of the money. And so that's what I did. And I learned a lot. Jerry Jarrett, Nick Goulis, those guys, they they turned my head around to showbiz. Hey, Rob, you know, welcome to the dadgum business at it's not all a shoot. It's not all beating your guy uh, that you're wrestling. They've got nothing to do with it. Uh, we'll decide that. And, uh, you know, so I, so I learned a lot from it. But that was kind of how I came to, uh, to, to get smartened up and understand how the business. It took me quite a while. Well, I, I, go ahead. A couple things. That must have been, first of all, a hard pill to swallow because you're, you're in a wrestling family. You see your father and your grandfather and your like you said your heroes and they're being led around like your father being led around by your mom with uh, his eyes closed and you know all these family members that have been you know broken arms and all that and then all of a sudden somebody tells you oh by the way we're not really trying to hurt each other and you must you know looking back on me that has to be like well you sure did a damn good job <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know what uh, I, I found out even even working with Jared those guys up there that uh that uh i was putting a lot in my work man i mean look you know we were we were literally beating the living crap out of one another a lot of blood like i said and uh and and so i i uh, i was learning fast different ways to do the business but uh but i i did i had been through dad's school you know of, of wrestling and i i went to school there and uh and and, and uh a little community college in griffin georgia and my dad had me working on on a saturday night with luke graham and so we go in to uh to do the match and dad says tells luke he says listen he didn't talk to me about it and he says uh he says listen uh, uh well, i want you to bust a kid a hard way tonight and luke just went oh no 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 i don't want to do it and dad said hey hey you know i want the kid busted a hard way you know you can do it and you're gonna go ahead and hit him and, and all this he's got to go to school i want him to have some stitches in his eye and all of this stuff so what every father going, tells his son <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah yeah so we, we we go we go in the ring and and uh and comes time and luke says okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you i said okay you know we'll go with it and so he headlocks me, covers up my eye, and he hits me, you know. But you know, I guess home heart, not wholeheartedly. And so he doesn't bust my eye, and then, matter of fact, it hurt, but not terrible bad. And so I told him, "You got to do it again." And so he's a uh, gosh dog. So, so he gets me in another position, and he whacks me again a little harder, you know. But he's not getting the job done. And it and it hurts, you know. But I but I, I notice I've got a little swelling, you know. I'm swelling in, uh, and and under my eye as well as over. And I say, uh, you, you got to do it again. You know, you got to do this because Dad's not going to be happy with it. And so he says one more time. And so this time he really tries. 
and and no stitches, no no cut. But I get a big swollen eye and a black eye, which is okay to go to school with anyway, but sure. it's not the stitches that Dad wanted. <laughs> so we go back in the dressing room, and boy, and I go in, and he's in there before I am, and the Dad's eating him out, and he's telling him, you big 300-pound piece of sissy, and he's really going over him. He's saying, hey, you couldn't bust a dead gum egg. You know, you dead gum. He was giving him a real hard time. And I knew, ooh, I'm next on his list. And so he uh, he did me too. You know, he said, hey, what the heck is wrong with you? You know, and I said, well, I, 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 I'm not the one hitting, doing the hitting. And he <laughs> says, well, you know, you could have went ahead and told him to do the dang thing. And he was mad. So long story short, we get our shower. We go out to the car, a real cold night. And, and uh and he's, he's, uh, he opens up the trunk of the car and says, put, put your bag in. And I, I throw my bag in the car, and he hits me. <laughs> uh, my dad hits me, and he, and he hits me hard as he can uh, in the same fat eye that Luke had hit me in, and he didn't bust me. He just knocked the living crap out of me, though. And so I, it's the first time in my life I ever was angry enough or uh, mad enough that I didn't see the danger I was in and I went after him and he backed off he, he backed off around the car and, he, and uh you know and I was I, you know I was like hey you know we're gonna have it and and uh and dad was he was telling me he was saying hey hey it doesn't even hurt anymore it's already quit hurting what the hell's your problem you know and I'm and I'm realizing well it has quit hurting it only hurt when he hit me you know, but, you know, by the time then, we have 30 seconds, a minute to me follow him around the car. And, and he's right. He's telling me, hey, it's not even hurting. I don't know what your dad gun problem is. And so I get in the car. I won't even speak to him. And we're riding all the way home. I'm watching him because I know if I give him a chance, he's going to smack me again because he means for me to have those damn stitches. And uh, and and he'd give them to me, and I, I knew it. I knew, hey, hey, I'm watching now. You're not gonna hit me again. I'm, I'm a block. <laughs> so that was uh, that was kind of the you know the the introduction to wrestling that I had. That Dad said, hey, you're gonna go around, and you'll get some blood, and it's all okay. But every once in a while, somebody's gonna ask you to bust you a hard way. And you, you don't want to be a big candy ass and a sissy that says no. So be a man. And so that's that's the way I came up in the business. And and uh, that's it, man. <laughs> were, were there any ever were there ever any thoughts, excuse me, of, of doing anything else but follow the family business? No, no, not for me. For my brother. Yes. Uh, my brother uh, had four years of college and. He played center for uh, for Miami, the Hurricanes. Yes, sir. I'm a big Hurricanes uh, fan, so I'm familiar with that. Well, in the late '60s, yeah, he was he was a, a center for him on, on the basketball team, and he had four year scholarship, and so he finished school down there, and uh, and so he, Dad was always worried that maybe he would head off another direction, different type of business or something. So it made life easy for him. Uh, they hooked him up with towns that he could promote. And, and instead of working him seven days a week, they work him three days, four days. Make it kind of easy on him that, uh, that you know, I was used to running the road 2,500 miles a week and, 
and you did that here in Florida. Uh, you, sure. you know, you 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 traveled twenty five to three thousand miles a week on the road, and when I went to Tennessee, I think it was even worse. And that uh, I was used to to putting in the time and really working. I remember one time my brother he, he was uh, he was going to school in Miami, and he and he uh, and I was making. That was back in nineteen seventy seventy one, uh, and I was making fifteen hundred a week. Wow! As a young kid in Tennessee, and uh, and my brother. He had a fit. Oh, I want to come up. I wear a mask so I don't lose my eligibility in college. But I'll wear a mask and I'll work for a couple of weeks and want to get some of that money. So, uh, so Nick booked him, and uh, and he came up. He had two weeks bookings. He stayed one week. <laughs> he, he couldn't. He couldn't take it. He couldn't well, take it. He, yeah, Ron would tell a story. He bailed. He bailed. I mean, it was it was too hard that. There was a lot of blood. Everything was like a war. There's, you know, he was like, "Hey, we're not grabbing a hold here. We're not wrestling. That we're at war, and that all of Jared Nick's angles were all, you know, angles where, you know, you want to kill, and it's not a, it's not one of those things where you're saying, well, he's a great wrestler, and I think he can beat him. None of that. It, it was, uh, it was all out of war, and uh, so my brother just said, "Oh gosh." The trips are too long, and I don't think I fit in this. I'm like, well, we'll see you later. So, you know, instead of making three grand, you make fifteen hundred. So, <laughs> good luck with your life. The, the two territories, Florida and Memphis, uh, the, the Memphis area, couldn't have been as uh, different as uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly. Uh, I don't know if that's a good comparison, but, you know, growing up watching championship wrestling from Florida was presented as a real as as close to real amateur wrestling as you could have it. And uh, and then Tennessee, you know, was, you know, I I guess, you you know, I've I've never worked, so I I don't like to, to to describe it. But I guess the best way I can say it is like probably the. What what took twenty or thirty minutes of exchanging holds in Florida to build up to that back and forth punching in the main event of the show? Uh, they just started with that right off the bat in, in in Tennessee, and and they 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 uh, they left the holds in Florida. Would that be uh, accurate? Yeah, yeah, they sure did. They sure did. That was it. That uh, you know, you call it wrestling, but it was actually fighting, and uh, you know, it was. Uh, it was a it was a total different type of thing. That good lord, I came out of there and my friggin' head looked like Wahoo McDaniel's. You know, I was, I was cut all the pieces and you know, but but uh, but I had a lot of money to show for it and a lot of respect in the business because I had drawn some major houses as a young guy and that's something you didn't do in Florida. You know, back in those days, if you weren't mature, you know, if you weren't in your mid-30s, you weren't going to get a push to get on top down here in the late 60s, early 70s. It just wasn't that way. But uh, but he went up there, and they said, ah, oh, you know, the kid looks good, and he's a young boy, and he's a handsome fellow, and we can do business with him. You know, just cut him to pieces and make a ton of money with this kid. And, and I fell right in the mix because I said, hell, this is this is this is paradise. <laughs> but, uh, I never expected to make money like this and in the business for that dumb ten years. That I was uh, I was very fortunate, and I realized it. And uh, I loved all those guys for giving me an opportunity, and and I, I worked my butt off for them. 
Did you have a favorite territory? If you were looking back in the 70s, maybe the early 80s, was there a favorite territory that you had? Um, you, you know, uh, I, I really liked working for Jarrett and for Nick. And my grandfather, Roy. But my grandfather, Roy, he, he knew never give me finishes or ideas or stuff. It was always Nick or Jarrett. And uh, and I I grew up in Tennessee, and it was home uh, around Memphis. I was born about uh, 50 miles north of Memphis on the Mississippi River, Dyersburg, Tennessee. And, and, uh, and, and, and I had a fond feeling for it. And then being used there as a young guy uh, so well and making so much money, you know, it was either there or maybe in Georgia uh, because uh, I graduated from school in uh, Henry County High School just uh, south of Atlanta. And, uh, and I felt very fond of that area. And uh, I, that's actually where I had my first match was uh was was in the Atlanta area so so uh, I was always fond of that I liked working for Jim Barnett uh, uh that Jim uh, always really took care of me and treated me like a a major star and naturally you're going to like that and uh, other than that uh, uh you know you're talking about places that I worked and worked for people but uh I booked for run uh in uh, Southeastern Wrestling in Knoxville, where we put together one of the greatest crews ever in the history of wrestling. And uh, we had short jumps, easy out and in show back home. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I did the booking about half between the way that Eddie and Dad did it down here in Florida and what they did over in, uh, in, in, ten, in neighboring Nashville and Memphis. And uh, so I, I was able to marry that a little bit. I liked the wrestling, but uh, but I was smart enough to watch my crowd and say, hey, uh, enough. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. I never put that all together because we've never talked about this before. But if you watch uh, Southeastern Wrestling, and we'll talk later about a, a, a way that uh, fans could – get five DVDs of some of the greatest of Southeastern wrestling. But if you watch that, it oh, really yes. is a combination of Georgia, Florida, and, and Tennessee. It really is. I never thought of that yeah, before. Yeah, and yeah, that was, that yeah, was every, your, that was your booking. Every, every place that I had ever worked that uh, I, I picked up something that I was uh, a person that uh, I was open-minded. I wanted to learn things. I, I, and I, and I loved passing them on. I had, tons of friends in this business unlike uh, my brother or some guys that that I, I worked for my brother there in southeastern wrestling in knoxville he was so serious about everything and i i felt like um that i, I wanted my crew my guys to enjoy every day they had at work and so i always let them know four to six weeks ahead of time what I was going to ask of them so that they could not only uh, give me ideas along the way for their character, but also they would be comfortable in, in the fact of where they were going, what they were doing. E even if I had a guy that wasn't given a major push, I wanted him to know if there's any type of positivity in, in, in your uh, position that I have you in, I want to give it to you so that you can uh, uh, you can also give me some ideas and 
and we can open up with the best first match that anybody ever saw. That uh, that I liked. Uh, I, I like taking all of these things I'd learned from these different places and utilizing them in one program. And I had guys that went to war, and I had Tony Charles that basically was a all-out wrestler. And I had, uh, you know, I had each guy had his little place in there, and uh, and we tried to have one of those shows that you could go to Florida or go to uh, Memphis for Jarrett or, or go into Atlanta for Barnett and uh, and get part of what they do. Yeah. We talked to, we had Lanny Poffo on a, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, and I asked him about uh, his family working outlaw against you guys and, and Jarrett's, and I know there was a famous... Uh, a famous situation in Knoxville where uh, Bob Roop took a group of the same people and went opposition. How? What was the feeling back then about the outlaw groups? I know Lanny wasn't too happy that his family was doing it. Uh, from what he says, he just kind of went along because he felt like he had to be a good son. Uh, I know that there was a lot of controversy, especially about that Roop one. But as a general situation, uh, how did you guys feel about you know people trying to invade your territories? Well, I, 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 at the time that that happened in Knoxville, uh, Knoxville was like my baby. And we, we had just bought the Mobile area. We separated half our crew and went down there. And we left some guys up in Knoxville, and my brother did. He was uh, he owned that then. I only worked for him. But he, uh, he left some guys up there handling the money that uh, might not have been completely straight up with the crew. And stuff. I, I'm not sure about it, but uh, but that's what I heard. That's what the squabble was through Garvin and Roop and Orton and all of these guys, uh, Maliko and these guys that were involved in that. Uh, they were saying, "Hey, they were screwing us for money, screwing us for money." Well, had I been there, that would have never happened because because uh, I was uh, I was dead strict about that. I was a guy that, that since a kid could go out walk in your house and look at the house and, and I could count the people and blah, bam I could say hey here's your house you got a 10 5 to 10 7 and I could and I could a couple hundred dollars I'd hit it wow. so you couldn't come in to me where I'm making payoffs for the guys and I'm paying them 28 30% of the house which we always paid a real high percentage to our talent and uh and and if if you came into me, you know, for Ron, if instance, if he came into me in Knoxville and I say, "Hey, it's fifteen thousand dollar house," and he says, "Oh, it's ninety five hundred. Oh no, no, we we went uh, we went to war. You know, I said, "Hey, you better get up there. I don't care what you do. You find the money. I don't know what you do, but um, but but I, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna pay these guys on ninety five. It's not gonna happen." And, uh, you know, and it doesn't matter whether I was booking for Jarrett or for Nick or for Barnett. It really doesn't matter that, that I always uh, insisted on handling the payoffs because they're my boys, they're my crew, and I want to pay them. And I want them to be excited about the money they make, and I want them to know it comes from me. And, uh, and they work for me knowing that they're safe when it comes to that. And so I'm not sure that back during those days, being we weren't there, I went to Jarrett, Ron went down south, that the guys handling the money weren't being unfair to the crew. And if that was the case, 
then we didn't have much of a leg to stand on. But we had no, no, uh, you know, I wasn't, didn't know that completely. I had no evidence of it. And so, um, so what I did, as soon as I heard what was happening there, uh, I I bailed on Jarrett and uh, as a booker and I took right back over there and I took over Knoxville and it was volatile. I I had, uh, I had Dick Slater and uh and jimmy that went with me i had tony charles i had uh uh i had some tough guys you know i had had some fighting guys and so we didn't feel unsafe going to the bar but uh but there was always that possibility and and something said that uh made you believe hey this is the night we're gonna have it we're gonna have it so uh yeah, so I know one night Bob Roop, uh, had to, we used to go to a bar, intersection bar, and that uh, Bob Roop had made some comment to, to Dick Slater, and uh, and Dick decided that he would just kill him, <laughs> and and Bob backed off. That, you know, Bob was a tough guy. Yeah. So Greco-Roman wrestling champion and all, but uh, but he backed off because he knew that uh, Dick Slater will literally knock your head completely off your shoulders. So if that's what you want to deal with, then uh, then have a party. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't. Do it, it doesn't matter how good you could shoot. If somebody's willing to point a gun at your head, then uh, it's a whole uh, different ballgame. Oh well, you know, if you if you've got a guy that you know, you know, and you realize that hey, the front of my face is not what he's going to hit. He's hitting the wall behind me. Sure. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't really want to be hit like that, so I might think twice about it. But uh, but we had a couple of deals uh, uh, in there that uh, that were questionable, and uh, guys that were really great friends of mine. I wasn't speaking with uh, Ronnie Garvin. Gosh knows I, I I put Ronnie on the friggin' map. You know, in Knoxville during those days, it, he didn't like interviewing. He he had he had been with Terry and uh, and, and and Jimmy, and he didn't talk a lot. He kind of let them do the talking and all that. I brought him out of that box and uh, and and got him confidence in being able to sell himself and uh, and 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 put him right on top and really used him well. And he was a tremendous success. He made us tons of money. And I thought he was one of my best friends I had in the business. And all of a sudden, I'm there, and we're not speaking. And uh, it was it was difficult. Those type of times, they're really difficult. But uh, but you realize, hey man, it's uh, it's business. And that um, I, if I could have gone back, went over and sat down with those guys and said, hey, listen, I'm back, and I swear to you that uh, anything you witness that's bad, I'm going to find out where it's coming from. I'm going to fire the living hell out of those guys and might even go a little further than that. And that, uh, that, that, that I'll put you guys back into position, pay you right, make everything right. But 
just seemed it went too far for that. Yeah. Yeah, I've read the stories and the, the, the accounts. It seems like it did. And if you could have done that, and I believe you could have done that, knowing you a little bit, uh, how, you know, you, the, the kind of person you are, you could sit down and probably bring two enemies together uh, just by I making jokes. Yeah, it would have been. They, they would have believed it. They, they you know, they, they would have believed it because I wasn't a liar and I wasn't, uh, I'd never lied to my guys and I'd sure. never. I didn't have that reputation of being that type of old-time promoter that's going to screw you around or lie to you or tell you something's not right. That uh, I was just a fun boy. Like you're saying, <laughs> I had a lot of fun in the business, and all the guys were my buddies. Sure. Everybody was my friend. No, it could have been a hell of It could have made you some money if you could have uh, worked uh, worked an angle off of that. But uh, I guess you just they, they weren't willing to sit down and listen to you, which is – Kind of a shame, actually. Right. If we could have, if we could have wrestled one another at shows, oh my goodness, yes, it, it would have been fabulous. But my father had said it many times when we were uh, younger, or you know, not you know, I was just starting the business. He said, "Hey, the greatest thing that ever happened is build your own opposition." Sure. Just just go take part of your crew, grab a guy out of there, and. And uh, start your own opposition, and then put the guys together, and you got you got natural sellouts. So, well, Jared so, did that uh, eventually with uh, with Randy and 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 yeah. Lanny and those guys. So and he was a, he was able to yeah. do it. Hey, before I want to jump to uh, to uh, WCW and Colonel Robert Parker, that character. Um, yeah. Uh, I could talk about this with with you forever, uh, especially it's 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 not time in my life in, in, in during my day. But if we had a couple of a couple of drinks, I mean, me and you could probably sit around and tell stories forever. But uh, I know that you don't do a lot of these, and I really appreciate your time. I do want to promote before we skip to WCW that. Uh, for those of you who are fans of Continental and Southeastern or who might have never seen it and are interested after hearing uh, Robert talk about all the different things that happened, uh, there's a special promotion going on for the holidays, uh, Continental and Southeastern, the Lost Territory classic matches from the 70s and 80s. You get five DVDs, 12 hours, 67 matches, and a special introductory offer you get all five dvds and two free autograph photos of the fuller brothers uh for the first 200 people it's a 79 dollars 99 cent value you get it for 39.99 so 40 dollars off i believe 40 is that for months my math right yeah 40 dollars off i'm telling you david that that thing and it's going like hotcakes i bet i bet really it's really doing good uh we're we're overwhelmed with it it's wonderful and uh, and I can tell you, I've looked at them. I've, I've seen the, these tapes. They are they're great quality, and they are super duper old school wrestling. I mean, it is uh, it's something I think folks will really enjoy. Those folks that miss out not being in the, in that area during that time, uh, they're they're going to be surprised at the really good talent and uh, and great matches that we had during that era. And I believe you could find that on tnstud.com. It's uh, your brother's website, TN for Tennessee, stud.com. And uh, I, 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 I haven't seen it yet, and I hope to see it soon, but I really would recommend if you have any interest in the territory days, especially in the South, uh, for you to get that 
amazing opportunity to get 67 matches and all those angles and it's probably you can see what what you can see what brought me uh into professional wrestling as a fan it's totally different not to say what they're doing now is great or bad you know it, it, it's just different but uh yeah. the stuff you well, guys thank were you do- for that david thank, no thank no you for the plug and, and appreciate that my uh, pleasure that's a, that's great thank you very much so, so we go from old school family territory wrestling to 1993 and you came to wcw as colonel robert parker how did that come about that whole gimmick well that that deal uh i was uh i was working for smoky mountain wrestling jim Cornette, right and his people out of knoxville and uh i was doing uh, they were running thursday friday saturdays seldom did they run a full week uh so so i you know so i had some time on my hands so i worked for my brother in cincinnati uh, as a marketing salesman for his hockey team that's the only year that i ever had dropped back from the business and uh and took on something else and i wanted to see how i would do you know hockey and i'm going to sell the game to sell the signage on the walls and sell the stuff in the ice and you know and just see you know that's what i am a salesman anyway so i was up there doing that deal with him and uh and i got a call from sid and uh sid said hey uh how would you like to go to atlanta and uh manage me and be a colonel and i said oh a colonel yeah you know <laughs> like the army type of thing he's like no 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 and he said uh the old old uh old colonel you know the old like the old time you get your white suit white hat cigar all that stuff and i said oh that's me that's me i'm i'm, I'm in i'm all over it and um I remember going in there first night I was there. Sid wasn't there. They just had one of their guys, a big, big guy. I can't remember his name. God help him. He was from down here in Florida too. He got a big push down here in Florida, and then went up there for him. And so he was going to be the first victim of Sid. And the deal was, I I come in and 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 I insult him, and he grabbed me by the collar. You know, and I say, hey, nobody ever puts his hands on me and touches me or anything for that. Now you're going to have to pay a heavy cost. And um, so this was the, the first first thing there. Then Sid was going to make it. It was going to come in. But I remember uh, going in uh, and them handing me a paper, a sheet. I, I had never, uh, for interviews, <laughs> guys say, well, this is what I want you to interview about. I'd talk about this or that, and then I'd develop it, and I would do it. Right. And uh, they gave me a paper, and it's an interview on there. You know, it's how the colonel is going to say this or say this or speak that and all. And I had thought about it uh, in detail, and I had something. I was ready, and, and that stuff was crap. <laughs> and so uh, so I went in. I knocked on the – Dusty was the booker, and I knocked on Dusty's door, and he said, hey, baby, how you doing? You know, come on in, everything okay, you know? And I said, hey, Dust, I said, I, um, I, I had some stuff here I wanted to say, and they gave me this sheet of paper, and it, it's really off the wall from the stuff there. And he said, well, now, here, here's the deal, baby. He said, now, you you haven't worked one of these deals before, but he said, in here we got these riders, and he said, and the riders, they all, they all ride them the tear for all the boys, and they get very upset. Uh, because they write stuff, if you don't say it, then they get all upset. You know, you're best off. You uh, you you go ahead and, and, and read the lines, baby. Do the thing, you know. I said, well, I said, well, 
uh, I don't like it. <laughs> so, so Dusty said, he just looked at me with a grin, you know, he said, tell me what you got, you know. So so I cut my interview right. for, for Dusty. I, right. I cut it for him. And he says, throw that shit in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so, I did, so I threw the shit in the garbage, and, uh, and I never got handed another piece of paper. That was it. There you go. They they said Colonel does his own stuff, and you don't want to write his stuff. You just tell him what you want, and he'll 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 dish it up in his head and give it to you. And so that's what I do. And when I when I went in for uh, later, just just I don't want to throw you off the path, but when I went in to work for Vince in '98, uh, they had Russo, whatever his name up there, and he's writing all the interviews. He's writers and all the stuff, and and uh, and right away. You know, here they come, and I say, "Hey, man, I don't, I don't do that." And and they went, "Oh, yeah, that's right. You, you, we don't write your stuff." I said, "No, no, no, you don't write my stuff. Just tell me what you want to do." And so there again, they never handed me anything. But uh, but I started off there. Sid came in, beat the crap out of the guy. Me and Sid were off to the races, and uh, that that was a that was a real good time. Uh, and then. Uh, you know, things went later on bad with Sid. Sid wound up going out, and uh, and Eric Bischoff came to me. He says right away, hey, Rob, he says, surely to God you're not thinking about leaving. And I just looked at him like, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> I love doing Colonel Parker. I'm not going anywhere. And he was uh, he was so happy to hear that. And so I stayed there what, five more years. Yeah. yeah. Five, 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 six more years after that. So, so, uh, and Colonel Parker then became famous because I was able to to do it, do it, and do it with so many different guys. On to Steve Austin, and on to Dick and Buck, and and uh, Terry Funk, and uh, actually I touched on everybody. If you remember, I, I managed Rick Rude and Paul Arndoff, and I, actually they had me touch on everybody in the territory one time or another buying their services to work for me and to do this and that. So they really were good to me, and uh, and I loved working there. You were always a lot of fun to be around. Hey, uh, the, uh, we had uh, Stevie Ray on the podcast uh, a few months ago, and we uh, talked to him about his thoughts on when they said that you were going to walk him and his brother out with chains and shackles, <laughs> and he, he gave his thoughts on it. I'm just wondering what, you, what was going through your head growing up in the uh, South well, and – I'll tell you what scared me to friggin' death about it, man, is, uh, is that, that was Sid's idea. Those boys uh, were working in Dallas, and they came in with me and Sid. And so Sid had them named as Cain and Abel. One was going to be Cain from the Bible and the other one Abel. They were prison guys who we had gotten out of prison and that was the reason for the chains around the neck, that they wore blue outfits like prison guys that night, and they had the chains around their neck. And, and uh, But Sid wanted it to be told in detail that these are two guys that's been in jail and, uh, and, and they're, they're tough son of a guns, and, and they're really great guys, but they had some hard times, and they wind up in jail and all of this stuff. And then here comes the colonel, the big, rich uh southern live on the mountain guy and he's got these two guys in there but they didn't tell the story what they did they just put me with them and without even an interview they sent us out that door and when they did the the people in wcw the the people that own it 
sat back and they said, they're gone, they're done, they're all fired. Uh, because uh, they they said whoever came up with this they're fired too that, that that you know you can't have a colonel with slaves come out so that so it wasn't a story that we even had a chance to even explain or talk about and so we were almost uh, me and Stevie Ray and, and Booker we were almost fired the first night uh, almost I was there yeah. I was I was that's what I first yeah. started kind of stooging around backstage and I was ringing yeah. the bell and stuff and uh and I remember when uh when you guys walked out with no explanation and yeah. you're you're exactly because I had seen a gimmick like that when I, I broke in down in South Florida a company called Global Wrestling Alliance actually Bob Roop was associated with it and Malenko a little bit uh they had a group called uh tag team called Death Row and they had two guys with death row outfits on. They each had a number, and they came out uh, in in chains, uh, and then they undid the chains, let them wrestle, put them back in chains like they were on furlough. So I had seen right, the gimmick I heard before. About that. Yeah, it, it actually I was before its time, in my opinion. But the thing is, and 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 to totally back your and Stevie Ray's story, they never told that story. Uh, no. With you guys, they just made it like you were a plantation owner walking out slaves, and I I remember thinking because uh, I was well, new in WCW. In back, Go ahead. Somebody in the back who didn't notice that I'm not going to put it on Dusty, but somebody, one of their agents, somebody in the back that didn't see that Grizzly Smith or somebody back there that has said, "Hey, this is a really bad look here. Uh, maybe we need to rethink this." that uh, then we could have talked about it and said, hey, we don't want to send these guys out there until we can explain to people what we got here. And that, uh, that was a big mistake, and boy, and, it was, and, and they just went nuts over yeah. it. And I thought, oh, my God, I lost a dead gum job the first night. And, uh, and it almost was that case. It almost came to that. But they wanted Sid so bad, that, uh, and Sid wanted Booker T and, and Stevie Ray. He wanted them bad, and so they couldn't get rid of them, and they couldn't get rid of me because I was Sid's boy, and everything was into Sid, uh, and it was uh, it was crazy. It, you know, Sid had so much pull at that time that they couldn't fire us. But had it not been for him being so strong, and you know, with the office, we would we wouldn't have had any future there at all. Yeah, it'd be interesting going back, and I mean, you can't go back, but if they'd have done a bunch of vignettes with you and Sid going to a jail and making a deal with the the, the, the people in the, uh, the what do you call, uh, uh, the guy in charge of the jail, the, yeah. the warden, making like a deal the with warden. the warden to let you... Sitting get, down with the warden, yeah. buying the boys out of there, now, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Now, and, now so, something like that would have been good, and had we ever had any time to work on anything like that, but they just ran this stuff right in on top of everything, and it, it uh, it you know, it did have an awful, awful bad look to it. That yeah. dog, but but we we lived through it. Thank God way. y'all lived through it. Hey, you yep. t- you mentioned yep. about Stud Stable and uh, Bunkhouse Buck and Arn and Terry Funk. Yeah, I, I used to, uh, as you know, by that time I was the ring announcer, so I you know, saw every single house show, and some of my favorite main events from that time you know even though there was nwo and that was all big were dusty and dustin against like a terry funk and an arn uh or an arn and a buck uh talk to me about you know uh your memories of working with dusty uh on those angles uh, god I, I gotta tell you man i always just loved dusty 
I mean, it just gas dog. Even from the day, you know, when I was a smaller boy, and I just saw Dusty working as a heel with Murdoch, and and uh, all, all of these, I, I, you know, I just, I just said, man, now there is money. There's money, and and I thought, boy, if you could ever build a character, Robert, that was that was uh, that was twenty percent of what this guy is. Uh, you're off to the dead gum races. So I had such a great uh, uh, feeling for, for Dusty. And uh, how do you told me? Read the damn lines, Robert, and I'd have read them. <laughs> you know, I'd, I said, hell yeah, I'd, yeah, I'll read the lines. I'll read them good as I can. Thank you very much. Uh, that, uh, that you know, I, he was great. And working with Dustin, that, uh, ah, and I love him today. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, I know when when he lost his job in WCW, uh, he'll tell you today he had one guy calling me. Wow, I me, did not. I never heard I, that before. I, I, I believe him, it though. I called him the next day. The next day, I heard about it. I heard about it. I said, and I was working in the office there then, and so I had that sheet with all the phone numbers and all the names on there, and I and I called Dustin. I called him up right away. I said, "Gosh, dog." You know what the heck, kid? And I just, oh gosh, I can't believe it. And all, and he was telling me, ah, well, I'm going to be going to New York, and it's not that bad, and all. And I just said, hey, you know, I, I, I wish you all the luck in the world because, uh, great kid, great kid, and, uh, and, and, you know, just, you know, how you just, some guys you just mix with, match with, man. You just say, gosh, dog, I don't know how. The good Lord can be so good to me to put me in here working with these guys. That is just so perfect. Yeah, I like to tell people. You know, a lot of people uh, they especially after Dusty passed, they they talk about that Hard Times promo, which was a uh, one of his best promos. People say his greatest promo. I disagree. I actually think the walk behind her promo, where uh, when they were working with uh, against you guys and Arn and Terry, and uh, he, he kind of teared up at the end and, and and asked Dustin, you know, just give me a chance. Uh, it was a lot of that was played off of real life, uh, some heat that they had, and um, and I thought that's I th- still to this day I think that's the best promo he's ever cut. Man, you know something? Uh, I, I, I don't know about that. But I can tell you this, I, I, I was the same exact way as you. I looked at it and I said, hey, if that don't sell out, I'm getting out of the business. <laughs> because that's just, you know, for Dusty, the guy he is, to pour it out like that. Yeah. That uh, That's just magical stuff, man. All we, have to so deal is, all we have to do is seal it with a hug and a kiss, baby. That was That's great, it, Daddy. <laughs> great stuff. I really, really have uh, uh, great memories of, of 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 touring the country. And look, the houses were weren't you know huge. We you know a thousand people, fifteen hundred no. people. It wasn't it wasn't the fault of the guys. It was the fault of the promoters because you got to. We weren't knocking them dead, man. We weren't yeah. knocking them dead right then. It was it was hard uh, going to some of those places and, right. and seeing the good hard work and the great talent that they had. You were wondering what in the world's happening here. That uh, heck, I've been to these houses. I went to Dalton, Alabama, with a house seventy percent full that I had sold out every dead dumb week for a year, and uh, with a crew that was just unbelievable. And I thought, what in the world is going on with this? So, you look um, back and dust. Know. You look back in Dusty and Dustin Rhodes on paper versus Terry Funk and Arn Anderson. 
Uh, you look back and you'd think, you know, that was a, a sellout program, and it would have been. But, you know, the you know we could talk about the management and the different, all the changes, and we could go on with that forever. I'd rather talk about your time working with Sherry Martell. I went back, and I looked at that uh, the Vegas uh, stuff that you guys did, and... Uh, I forgot how entertaining that was uh, between you and Mean Gene and Slater and, and Jimmy Golden and, and then Sherry, who uh, look, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but uh, something tells me Sherry had a couple of shots before she came, but uh, I don't know if you could confirm you know, or deny that. When you look at that stuff, I go back and look at that stuff. I say, man, there is a God. I know it. <laughs> I just say, you know, I say, and He must love me very, very much. Uh, to to tie me into all of that, I lived at La Park. You familiar with that building, La Park, there in Marietta? Yeah, it was the condom, condominium that so many of the boys moved to. Yeah, moved there, and uh, and Sherry lived there, and uh, and so we not only worked together, we never were lovers or or date. We never dated or any of that stuff. Uh, but Sherry would come over to my place quite often. I'd go hide the dead gum crown roll. Sherry's <laughs> 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 coming over and go hide the crown roll. I want to have a little bit later on. So yeah, but but uh yes. Yes, she showed up there and uh, the production people they came right to me. She was late getting there. So uh, they were already, you know, oh, gosh, they're waiting, waiting, and those people are paid by their time and all that. And, and so she shows up, and she is, she's bonkers. And uh, and they all said, well, we're going to have to shut it down. And all, I heard that, and I went screaming out at them that, no, you won't. You know, I said, <laughs> it's better. It's better. And they're like, what do you mean better? I said, it's better that I'm marrying a drunken dadgum, it's better. I said, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I said, this is going to turn out great to just have her short lines, little stuff, oh, I can't do anything, and that's enough, and I'll take over, and uh, I do all the talking anyway, I'm a big mouth, and so this will work out beautiful, and it did. It, it was better, I think it was better, because she had drank. <laughs> just because it was Sherry. That was her. I'd seen her that way so many times. she come over to my place. I live on the sixth floor. And I got a little wall around my balcony. And she would get up on the corner of the wall and sit there. There's no rails. There's no nothing. And drink her daggum crown roll. And I'm like, Sherry, get off of that wall. You don't tell me to get Oh, gosh. I just saw that was Sherry. <laughs> and we just we you know we worked well together and uh and i i just loved her she's just a great girl wonderful girl to work with goodness gracious she's so talented so i'm con- talented. i'm con- I, absolutely i miss her a lot I, i'm convinced without you and gene okerland there's no way that segment would have ever made air you guys both held that together uh and a lot of not only sherry uh you know, slurring her words, but the the girl, the lady who was who was a real lady, I guess, or maybe an actress who was reading the vows, kept messing up the vows. And between you and Gene, you yeah. got you kept everything on track, and and, and really, yeah, y- you appreciate how how great you both were on a microphone because it was sort of yeah. a total clusterfuck. Excuse my French. That was yeah. held together yeah. by two people. No, no, nobody, 
there is nobody. Now, there's some great guys out there that do commentary, but there is, in my mind, nobody that can hold a, a candle to Gene Oakland. That I just, man, I just, I, that's another thing. I got, got to work with Gene Oakland, and I just said, my gosh, there is a God that I don't know why these people of this life is so good to you, Robert, that uh, you got this guy, and, and y'all just, feed off of one another and no lines, no nothing. And it's all just so natural. It all just flows so good. And just, uh, it's, it's greatest years of my life. You know, when you're asking about territories, yeah, uh, working territories, probably, I've, you know, I've got to go back now that I'm talking about all of this and say that those Parker days, they were probably the, the height of, of my career, as far as really enjoying my work that uh, that that I did, I was I was in love with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was in love with myself. I just said, "Oh my gosh, boy, you're so full of shit, but aren't you something?" <laughs> I would definitely, by the way, um, uh, I would definitely recommend to go back if you're listening to this podcast. Go back and uh, even if you've seen it before, well, go on YouTube and check out the uh, the Robert Parker Sherry Martell Vegas wedding. It's easy to find, and it's and and I want you to watch if you watch it if you don't mind. Watch how the Colonel and uh, and Gene hold the entire thing together because uh, Slater was laughing, Jimmy Golden was laughing, uh, Sherry didn't know where she was, and uh, and God bless you guys. It was good stuff. You mentioned Tennessee yeah. Lee in the WWF. Uh, that did not last a long time. What was the plan with that, and what uh, went wrong? They 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 uh they they wanted to, they was bringing Jeff back, right? And uh, and they wanted. Uh, they, they they wanted something for TV. Get Jeff kicked off and and really rolling. That superstar, greatest dancer, greatest singer, greatest wrestler, all that stuff. Like we did the deal, and so uh, they they said, well, you know, who's going to be better to do it than Carl Parker? And and so uh, you know, Vince likes to change everybody's name, so sure. they own everything, and and so uh, so yeah, so I go in there, Tennessee Lee, and and uh, and and loved it. Loved it, man. I just, uh, the trips were harder because we did a lot more work than we did in WCW. And, uh, and the, you know, it was a little harder keeping up on the road and different stuff there. But, but, uh, but working with Jeff, uh, I've worked with Jeff all through, the, you know, during the 80s when he was a kid. Sure. Jerry brought me in to work with him because he needed somebody to, to guide him, to teach him, uh, to get him on the right road of how to work the business. And I went in there, I was married to him for a year, maybe maybe a year and a half that I wrestled nobody in Tennessee but Jeff. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and I, I, I have a great deal of admiration for him, but a lot of guys don't know, but he's a tough kid. And he's, uh, he's not just a silver spoon daddy's boy, that, uh, that he's, a, he's a tough boy. And he can take care of himself, and uh, and I really like him. I, I really, I'm very, very close to Jeff, so so I enjoyed that. But uh, it it turned out uh, uh, into the thing they wanted to move there into using more girls, and that was kind of their movement. They they brought Brenda was it Brenda in Brenda uh, the, the football player's wife. Oh, Deborah McMichael. Deborah, De- not Brenda. Deborah Deborah McMichael. Yeah, that. Uh, 
Jeff knew that uh, about that time I was uh, I was getting a little sore, worn out with so much road that we were we were out more than what I wanted to be. And I, I've been in the business a long time. Sure. And I said, you know, you know what? I, I I hate to say I'm tired, but I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit worried, a little bit tired. Other thing, and so uh, you know, when when I heard that they wanted to move toward the girl, and that Deborah was coming in, take my place. Uh, actually, what was happening? Vince had come and talked to me about going in the office, and uh, and I had hum hawed around because I didn't want to go in the office. I, 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 I really just kind of worn out. I just didn't want it, and uh, and so they were going to put me with with uh, Southern Justice, the two other boys that, that were in there, Shanghai and, uh, and Salinger that were in WCW. Taxi Shanghai, yes, sir. Right. They were going to take them, put them in nice tuxedos, and I was going to class these Southern boys up, call them Southern Justice. And, and we were going to go into San Diego and screw and screw Jeff over and, and hurt him was the deal and then uh then i was going to go over and start managing them and then deborah was going to come in and do jeff so we got to san diego and uh, jerry briscoe came in and he sat down with me and he said uh, with us and he said right out of nowhere he says uh rob he says if they turn that deal around they're going to hurt you they're going to do the deal with you and uh and and the southern justice will turn on you and jeff and all three of them will get you and they'll do the deal to you and I went ballistic. I, I went, uh, I went ballistic. I, you know, Gerald. I love Gerald like a brother. But I, uh, I, I just looked at Gerald. I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" You know, he's like, "No." He said, "You're you're going in the office." And I just looked at him. I was like, "No, I'm not going in the office." And and Gerald was like, "Yes, you are. It's a great opportunity, man. You're." You're going to go in the office, so they're going to do this deal tonight. And boy, I went looking for Vince, and I, <laughs> I, I found him. And I asked him, I said, well, "Do you guys? Do you just, off the top of your head, take people's lives like that? You know, when you tell them you're going to do something, you're working on it for weeks. I've done 15 interviews for the Southern Justice deal, and then you just get to a show, and you just shit can the whole damn deal." And you change my whole life around uh, from not having this job to going in the office, which I never told you I would do. And I said, is that it, Vince? And he said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just said, I, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm through. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm what done. do you say when he looks you in the yeah. eye and says, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's it. He said, you know what? He said, I talk to you. I talk to you. You know, and I'd rib with him. I, I, I read Vince talked to me in the garden and talked to me about, uh, about going. He said, you know, I want to get you up to the office and we want to pick your brain some, you know? So, and I said, um, I said, you know, I said, I, I'm, I said, I'm not very good, you know, with computers and stuff. You know, I always just had a book and write in the book and, I, and I'm not, you know, all these guys got computers and everything. And Vince says, uh, and this is an honest to goodness truth. Uh, he says to me, he says, uh, he said, Rob, he said, we'll get you a laptop. I said, I already got a guitar. <laughs> I swear. I swear I said it to him. <laughs> he just looked at me. He's all confused because he's a New Yorker, you know, city guy. He didn't know. Laptop. I'm thinking flat top. 
guitar, you know? Guitar. <laughs> I said, I already got a guitar. And he looks at me like, what the hell are you talking about? And so I said, you know, Vince, I said, uh, I said uh, this is before the, the deal and then we got to San Diego. This is back six weeks earlier I'm talking to Vince. And I told him, I said, hey, you know, I said, I'm pretty busy running the road right now. But I said, you know, one of these times when I'm off two or three days, fly me up and uh, and we'll we'll pick the brain stuff some a little bit, see how it goes. And he just looked at me like, you don't understand what I'm saying. And I was just like, no, I don't care what you're saying. <laughs> and, and so then we went to San Diego and boom, he threw it on me. He was like, hey, you're going to do what you told. And I already talked to you about this. You're going in the office and you're going to do the deal. And, and uh, I just said, nope, that's it. I quit. <laughs> I've, I've had enough. And I came home and, uh, and I've been a happy camper. And that would be the end of the story, except for 20 years later, you're on BN Sports uh, with the Stud Stable. Tell me how that came about with Major League Wrestling. Well, the, the, the two boys, the Dirty Blondes. Yes, sir. Uh, those guys, they were local guys. They worked around here local, yeah. uh, here in Tampa. And uh, and I had met them in Dothan. They worked the Dothan reunion show. I work it every year. And we worked against them. Uh, something my birthday, every year we go there. And so I'd thrown a pie in their, a cake in their face. Uh, a couple of, you know, I just, they were so cooperative. I really liked them. And they called uh, call me and said, would you go do this deal with us? We got a new job working with Major League. We do TVs out of Orlando. And would you go with us as a manager? And I said, I don't know how the guy gave me a call. And so Court, the, the main guy, he gave me a call, and uh, and we discussed the money, and it was a big argument and all of that. But, uh, but he said, hey, these guys will pick you up at your door. They'll deliver you back to your door. You're only going 90 miles to Orlando, just a one-day deal. You know, let's be reasonable on the money, all of this. And so I say, okay, I'll do it. And so I dig out the old Colonel Parker suit, and I go over there with the guys, and I have a friggin' ball <laughs> fun doing the deal. And I, and I realize, hey, you've been missing doing this character, this thing that you've been missing, you know, that uh, feels good in the suit. And I still got it. Yes, <laughs> you know, sir. I said to tell myself, hey, kid, you still got it. God <laughs> dog it, look at there. I didn't know if Colonel was in there anymore. But there he is, and he's just as good as he ever was. And uh, and so it all took off from there. Now the son of a gun, you know, he's, he's, he's got us going to New York and to Chicago and to Miami. And, and you know, and the shows are no longer in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, he just, but he, he's a great guy, Court. I don't know if you know him. But a little bit. He's a, he's a great guy, and uh, and and uh, I really like to work for him. I like all of his people that are in his organization, all of his agents and his people, and and, uh, and I, even, I was even working with Bruce. Bruce isn't with him anymore, but he was for a while, and I think the world of Bruce. And uh, and and you know, it's just a great bunch of people. And I get to go have more fun than a barrel of monkeys. Last show I went to, I went in Miami. We did eight shows. And they got this 20-year-old girl uh, uh, that, that managed their junior champion. 
she was valet or something for him, and he broke his arm or something. So they slipped her in with me, and 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 I'm a sugar daddy, like. And so she calls me daddy, and we do this. And I'm telling you what, <laughs> you look at it, David. When you see some of this stuff come on TV, you're gonna laugh your ass off. I mean, it is. I, it's hard for me to do it without laughing. That that uh, that she's so good at being a gold digger, and uh, and I'm so good at being taken by a 20 year old girl that when we when we put those notes together that these guys put together for us and we go out there and we do these promos that they're uh, they're magical they're, they're just doggone magical and the guys behind the camera they all just they, they all go bonkers they all just go oh god i've never seen anything like that that this is absolutely incredible and we we wing everything no lines no nothing we we they talk to us about what they would like and we wing it and uh and she's She's as good or better than I am. Wow. And so, yeah. So, so I just, you know, I, I say, boy, what a great deal that, you know, I'm being took by this young girl and, and uh, you know, things are not going well for me. I've got these two country boys that I thought would come in this little short ladder, small nut. We'd crack it easy, climb the ladder, no problem. But, uh, it, but it's, it's a bigger, bigger nut to crack than that. And uh, and so I'm having my difficulties, and then all of a sudden here comes this little beautiful little young twenty year old gold digger falling in love with me, and it's just I'm like, hey, you guys, you know, <laughs> you keep giving me material like that to work with, and you won't have to pay me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a funny yeah. thing because I realized about three weeks ago that I get BN Sports. <laughs> So I have uh, my DVR programmed, and I watched the live show that they had from Miami. And um, and so I'm going to be watching it uh, every week, and I'll be looking for those promos. And I'll, I'm sure uh, yeah. if they're half as good as you say they are, they're probably as entertaining as anything in the business right now. Oh, they're good. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, there's nothing being done like that. There's, there's, there's no, you know, no old rich colonel being taken by a fancy pants little mini skirt 20 year old that it uh it's it, 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 it smoking man so i watched last week and they did eight weeks of work and i wasn't even on so i'm going well whatever it is but i, I guess you know when they start it then they'll just really really put some time and roll it and uh maybe that's next week so so, uh, but I know, uh, uh it, it's a joy, you know, I got back in there, everything was strange for a while. And then I got to meet some of the young folks that work in that company and, and get to know them and, and, uh, and, and, you know, just build some respect with the people backstage and, and I'm just having a lot of fun with it. Well, I'm glad that's a nice, uh, period at the end of the sentence of your career and, uh, you and you, uh, deserve every bit of it, in my opinion. I'm not just saying Thank that. You, I'm not just saying that to kiss your ass because, uh, because you're a guest on this show. Uh, you've always been one of my favorite people and I know you're not a big podcast guy. Uh, I don't but, do them. Uh, I don't but, uh, do them. You're special, bro. I, hound, I, I hounded you. You've, you've been on my bucket <laughs> list since we started this a uh, year and a half ago and I finally, I finally was able to twist your arm and uh, you gave me more time than, than you probably anticipate. I really appreciate it. Hey, I want to, I want to remind, uh, people that are listening. If you want to get, 
12 hours of classic 70s and 80s uh, old school territory wrestling, continental and southeastern wrestling, for only thirty nine ninety nine. Plus, you get a couple autographed pictures with Robert and Rob Fuller. Uh, go to tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Uh, it's the first two hundred people, and probably uh, it already probably is getting close to two hundred. So, if I were you, I'd definitely check that out, and I'm going to check it out as well. Robert, you have a wonderful night, two thousand nineteen. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and your generosity, and I wish you nothing but the best. Hopefully, we could have a cocktail in 2019. Tell some more stories. Same, same here, man, and, and I'll be looking forward to the cocktail. Well, I don't know about you, but I had blast. That's about an hour of, uh, of great stuff, and I always knew he was a great storyteller, and it's one of wrestling's uh, hidden secrets. Just a, yeah, I, I think you could tell. Just a, he didn't get involved in the politics. He never, he hated being in the office in WCW for the couple of months that he was there. Uh, I understand why he didn't want to to be an office guy for for WWE, even though it was probably a finance great financial opportunity. He's just a laid back, fun loving, likes to have a cocktail in the evening, Southern boy who's funny as hell and could tell a hell of a story and one of my favorite people. I'm so glad to see his resurgence on MLW on BN Sports and I'm looking forward to seeing the the stuff he's been doing with uh, as the sugar daddy. Uh, it sounds like a perfect sugar daddy to me and uh, so thankful for his time. Don't forget to go to tnstud.com tnstud.com and pick up the those 12 hours, five DVDs of Continental and Southeastern Championship Wrestling from the 70s and 80s, and it's all for a penny less than 40 bucks. So it's about $8 a DVD, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching it, and um, it's great stuff. Also, be sure to go back and check out that skit in Vegas with Sherry and Colonel and, uh, and me and Gene uh, putting the, you know, holding the whole thing in his palms as only Mean Gene could. I think you can really appreciate the professionalism of both Gene Okerlund and Robert Fuller. Hey, looking forward to 2019. We're going to continue to have uh, some fun games guests, some uh, behind-the-scenes people. Um, there's a lot of people that I still have, um, I'm looking to, to have on City Ringside. If you have anybody that you think would be a great guest, hit me up at Twitter, at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. I'm open to all ideas and uh, looking forward to, hey, we did pretty good this year. Terry Funk, Scott Hall, uh, Robert Fuller is only his second podcast ever. It's, it's kind of, it might be hard to top this, but I promise you from the bottom of my heart, uh, I will try my best. A big thank you to the folks at Radio Influence who make this all possible and who uh, twisted my arm and said, hey, you might be good at this and we'd like to work with you. So uh, thank you to them and uh, have a wonderful 2019. Have a wonderful New Year's Eve. Have a wonderful New Year. And thank you so much. We'll be back next week. I'm still sitting ringside. Happy New Year, folks. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. When you are looking for the latest news and notes going on in the world of mixed martial arts, the MMA Report podcast is the place to come. 
news from the UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting, and so much more. And also we'll have interviews with some of your favorite fighters. The MMA Report podcast can be found on RadioInfluence.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud.